Hello everyone and welcome. My name is Andrew. And I'm Rachel. And we are Picture the Scene Podcast. We are a true crime podcast aiming to put you, the listener, at the scene of the crime. Each week we delve into the murky world of less known crimes from the UK and Ireland and occasionally we venture into renowned cases from around the globe. Now if you like what you hear, please do follow us on whatever social media or whatever social media platform you prefer. Subscribe. Or social media is fine as well. Um, I could, I could learn not to like you, Rachel. Um, sus- charming. Subscribe to us on your preferred podcast platform of choice, and if you have the capability, give us a rating and review as well. It means the world to us. And if you like us that much that you want to support us, you can do so for less than the price of a cup of tea or coffee on Patreon, with our lowest tier starting at one pounds per month. We release bonus content every month. The links to our social medias and Patreon can be found in the show notes or visit patreon.com for slash scenepod. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com for slash S-C-E-N-E-P-O-D. And we yeah, we have lots of stuff. And we even we even given a book away this week. So, you know, there's lots of different stuff all the time. Now we do where possible now release our episodes a week early for our Patreon supporters. Now I have tried hard because you told me I was a bit weak last week, Rachel. So you don't have to be kidnapped to travel forward in time, eight years, like David in Flight of the Navigator, to experience the future. All you have to do is subscribe to us on Patreon. Is that better? It's Flight of the Navigator, a movie. Rachel, it's. Um, I wonder what you did in your childhood. It's an. It's even still good fun now. I'd go and watch it. Yeah. I was outdoors playing. <laughs> Kirby. <laughs> yeah. And, and building dens. Yeah, okay. All sorts. You probably have a better childhood than me then. Um, oh. I do remember wondering why my friends used to like climbing trees when I just thought, what's the point? I don't to just not climb it and save the effort. But that's, wow. prob- that's probably... Um... You were very advanced thinker for <laughs> in your childhood, right? I'm <laughs> just very lazy, yeah. One of the two. So, as with any true crime podcast, listener's discretion is always advised. Today, there is no exception. However, as a change, there is only a few fleeting references to death this week. So the only real death you experience is probably me dying on the inside if this is not a very good episode. Wow. I think um, Andrew's really built up today's introduction to for everyone to feel a bit sorry for him. But for context, guys, <laughs> um, in the run-up to recording today, I've been scorned at least three times this morning by him. So, uh, I mean, let's all collectively say, I hope you feel better soon, Andrew, <laughs> on on air. But, uh, you know, deep down, I don't feel too sorry for you. Like a, like a British politician, I deny all charges. <laughs> uh, so how are you doing, Rachel? I'm okay, thank you. I'm definitely getting heavier and slower and more tired. But other than that, I'm sparkling, as you would say. <laughs> how are you? Going but sparkling. Yeah, I'm sparkling. <laughs> I'm sparkling as well. Good. <laughs> let's, let's get into this then. Let's go. But are you ready for some true crime? Absolutely. Listen, I, I wouldn't be here otherwise. Yes. I said to Grumpy that, Andrew. I already said that quickly, listeners, because I know Rachel was about to take a drink of her, of her coffee. Um, rude. Yes, very rude. So if it's safe you all to do so, I'd like you to relax. Close your eyes and picture the scene. Today, I'd like to take us to the city of Canus, which is the second largest city in Lithuania. 
It has a population of around 300,000 people, and it was first mentioned in surviving records way back in 1361, but a local legend or myth says it dates back to Roman times. Now, artifacts have been found from that time, but it doesn't seem to have been a city then. These days, though, it's a vibrant up-and-coming city, which includes within its boundaries parks and nature reserves. Fun fact for our listeners, you won't be able to see this, but every time Andrew is about to say a word that he's not confident in pronouncing, he takes a little pause and a very deep breath. Do just I? goes for it. Yep. I didn't realise I did that. Now I'm just yeah. going to be super conscious about that. Thank you, Rachel. Um, You're welcome. <laughs> when did you spot that? Was that a while ago? Oh, Oh, the, all, all the time, but yeah. Uh, fair enough. You know me better than I know myself, Rachel. There is a strong cultural scene at the moment in the city, and it was named European City of Culture for 2022. I'm going to have it in my head all the time now. Today, we're going back a little further in 2022, though. We're heading off to Tuesday, March the 28th, 2017. Now, it would turn out to be a pretty decent day for that time of the year. Weather-wise, that is, with highs of 52 degrees Fahrenheit, which is 11 degrees Celsius, and it was dry all day. Oh. It was a little colder in the morning, though, some 10 degrees colder, when a large group of men quietly pulled up outside a high-end luxury house. Now, these men, dressed in black, armed with automatic machine guns, making as little noise as possible, made their way outside of an unassuming front door, while some of them branched off to cover the back of the house. The door from the outside looked like any other in the area, expensive, well-maintained, but nothing special at all. It's what was on the... Sorry? I love how a door can look expensive and (laughs) well-maintained. Listeners, I I think I should start up a GoFundMe account for my hurt feelings and... um, I'm going to go off on a slight tangent here, listeners. I was just reading in the UK, a man, a plumber, was off sick work and he was awarded £50,000 for lost, for hurt feelings and emotions for not being included in a work WhatsApp group while he was off sick. Now, if he gets fifteen grand for not being in a work WhatsApp group, what do I get for Rachel's abuse here? Um, we, don't, we don't get paid to work this. We don't want to, that's a shame. Uh, where am I? So, yeah, the door, it was, it was a door, wasn't it? Um, so it was it was on the inside that was special, though, to the people, at least, outside of it. Because these men were members of the Lithuanian Special Forces, the most elite crime-fighting team within the country. Now, inside of the house was a man who was regularly described as a ghost to the people who were trying to catch him due to his ability to not be caught over a number of years. But to people that knew him, he'd often be described as Big Man or Big Org, but his real name was James Robert Movie. So they burst into the house, and James was sat on a sofa in just a pair of shorts as it was early morning, and he was alongside a woman who was never identified. So they promptly arrested him without any fuss. So who was he? And why did they want him? Well, they wanted him because of a European arrest warrant had been issued by the British police. So they were acting it on behalf of them. He was wanted on five charges of conspiracy. 
three charges of conspiracy to import Class A drugs, cocaine in this instance, and two charges to import Class C drugs, cannabis. They alleged that he was one of a small number of bosses of a large, at least £68 million worth, but likely more, drug cartel that took drugs from Belgium into the UK, and then with the majority of them being bound for Ireland. Wow, £68 million. Actually, definitely a lot more than that, but that's what they at least could determine. Jeez, that's a lot of drugs. It is. So who was James Robert Mulvey? <laughs> no wonder he had a nice front door. <laughs> yeah, no wonder he had a nice front door, yeah. Uh, so who was he, or big man, as his friends like to call him? Maybe it was a big front door because he was a big man. He was a 42-year-old man from Solihull in the West Midlands. And officially, on paper, he was the owner of a haulage company. In reality, though, he was one of the UK's largest drug dealers at the time. He wasn't married, but from what I could tell, he had at least five children. Now, I've really jumped us in at the end, haven't I? Or near the end of the story, when I should be taking us back a little bit. So let's turn the clock back to 2006, and let's head on over to Belgium. James already had a successful drug importing business by this time. And from what the authorities could tell, he was worth, at that time, at least £5 million. But that was always believed to be on the very low end of the estimate, as he only ever operated in cash or offshore accounts and dummy companies. A simple warehouse worker, however, and I say simple in a context, it's a simple job compared to being an international drug dealer, but one simple warehouse worker would be the reason that led up to his eventual arrest some 11 years later. I imagine, though, like, when you're in such a big drug ring, um, at his level, there would be very little effort involved, right, in, in coordinating anything. He'd have so many layers of people beneath him getting their hands dirty on the physical drugs and then others that would be sorting the money side of things out and the transportation and others that would be laundering the cash through different cycles like he'd be he'd probably be sitting pretty quite stress-free wouldn't he at the top uh, well yeah you'd assume so some of these are quite hands-on though but you'd assume so yeah but james's drug smuggling operation was simple he transport cocaine and cannabis in hollowed-out industrial metal rollers into the UK. And actually, I remember, I don't know how, but I remember you mentioning the arches to me at some point in the past, Rachel. And actually, his warehouse was in a small, sleepy village of Inkbarrow in Worcestershire, which some of our listeners may well know was the inspiration for the well-known and long-running radio drama The Arches. You know what, guys? I don't listen to The Archers, but I remember telling Andrew about a time in my life when I did, and it was quite nice, relaxing radio entertainment. (laughs) So, once the drugs had arrived in the UK, he would then arrange for them to ship over to Dublin, where they would be broken down and sold all around Ireland. He ran the smuggling and distribution business with three other people. His cousin... Gerard the Hatchet Kavanagh, who was a known associate of the billion-dollar crime gang from Ireland, the Kinnahans. Barry Phipps. Now, the other two people are what the authorities claimed he ran the company with. 
So Barry Phipps, who was legally speaking a transport manager, and Jeffrey Edwards, who was a long-distance lorry driver. Once the drugs had been removed from the equipment, the equipment would make its way back to Belgium, where it would be filled and sent back to Ireland via the UK. So the operation was well planned, it was well thought out. No one was aware and no one suspected anything. With at least a few, from what they could tell, at least four or five trips being successful. But in reality, it was likely that they'd been doing this for years, so it could have been countless, as no one knows. It could have been countless numbers of drugs going back and forth. They made one mistake, though, didn't they, Rachel? One that no one would think of, but a mistake nevertheless. Can you guess what that was? They trusted somebody, the wrong person? No. Oh, (laughs) no then. I can't guess what it was. (laughs) They made the mistake, probably to try and save some money, of reusing the same industrial metal rollers each time. Now that led to one eagle-eyed warehouse worker spotting after a few deliveries that it was the same industrial metal rollers that he was prepping to be delivered to the UK, so he reported it to the authorities. Wow, okay, that guy really took his job seriously, didn't he? Yeah. These, these industrial rollers, would they have had, like, serial numbers on them? You'd assume, I don't know. Yeah, I looked at them, and they just, to me, they looked just like big chunks of metal, but obviously, yeah, they must have done. Just to me, right, What what is this happening? Like, every fortnight, it would take, like, for the end-to-end process, right, from Belgium to Ireland? I think it was a couple of months, because they had to then get the drugs... Because when they got the equipment Jeez. back. So so this guy, months would pass before he'd see the metal rollers again. And yet he would be like, hey, I've I've definitely prepped these before. That's mad, isn't it? It is, yeah. I mean, kudos to that guy. He definitely got his fucking bonus that year, right? <laughs> yeah, you'd think so. He probably never loses an argument with his partner as well because he remembers everything. <laughs> yeah, what a whopper. So... So yeah, the Belgian. So he report he reported to the authorities and the Belgian police. They looked into this, and once they realised whatever was being shipped, because they still didn't know whatever was being shipped was being shipped to the UK, they contacted a national crime agency in the UK, and they alerted them to potential criminal activity. The NCA began investigating and undertaking covert surveillance, and they determined that it was drugs being imported into the UK. So they set up an operation to capture the drugs on the next shipment and arrest whomever they could. When they swooped in to make the arrest, they immediately arrested both Barry and Jeffrey, who were at the scene. They did not have enough evidence to try to arrest either James or Gerard. A shipment at that time, and this is just one shipment, Rachel, a shipment of 20 kilograms of cocaine, 364 kilograms of cannabis, and 10 kilograms of cutting agent were seized. So that's where they got the £68 million from, I believe, the retail value. One shipment. Of that shipment, yeah. Jesus. And what, sorry, I know that we are, we went back to 2006 when the operation started, yeah. but when when were they tracked down by the Belgium authorities? 2007. Oh, wow. So £68 million in 2007. God yeah. knows how much more before, you know, we meet our... Our current day, which is 2017. Yeah. Mad. Now, it's thought, but it was never proven, so this is purely conjecture, that James and Gerard actually were tipped off in some way about the raid 
as just a couple of days before the NTA swooped in, they actually let the drugs, because the NTA actually let the drugs get to Ireland because they wanted to see the full journey. So it was actually the Irish police, the Garda, who took the lead and made the arrest. But a couple of days before that happened, they, um, yeah, it's believed that they were tipped off because because James and Gerard fled to Spain. And they, they fled to Spain. They moved to Spain a couple of days before the police swooped in and seized the drugs. Oh, wow. So this, so this is a man. Remember, James was described as a ghost. He had no real bank accounts. And I actually looked at his uh, companies, his holdings companies, on company's house. And even though he set up the companies in his name, he never found any accounts for them or anything. So it was purely just a dummy company. The epitome of laziness. Yes. At least if you're going to go to the trouble of setting up a dummy company, you'd fucking file some false accounts, wouldn't you? Yeah. I wonder if he climbed trees when he was a kid. But... <laughs> But yeah, he had no real bank accounts, no paperwork or anything that could lead to him. So the question is, how could he have just moved to another country if he didn't have any of the normal trappings people would need to move around or buy things? Well, James James would have bank accounts associated with the dummy organisations in different names in several countries, ranging from the Caribbean to South America to Europe. He had them everywhere. And whenever he needed cash that was legitimate, he would send the money to a bank account he held in the Isle of Man under another dummy company. And then from that bank account, he would then distribute it where he needed legitimately. It's naughty offshore islands. Yes, tax havens. You never trust people who live there. So he, he did this when he moved to Spain. And he bought himself a nice £1.4 million property that was designed to his exact specifications and included luxury additions in a villa, such as a large pool and a cinema room. Now, James's cousin and associate, Gerard Kavanagh, also fled to Spain, setting up a base there. Gerard was known for being an enforcer and a drug dealer, especially in the Tala area of Dublin. He was a boxer in his younger days, and he was a feared man, hence his nickname the Hatchet. He was also a senior member of the Kinahan Criminal Organisation. Have you heard of the Kinahans? Not, no. Really? Should I have? Yeah, they're like now wanted by like the American FBI, I believe, by the British police, by the Irish police. Oh, wow. They're, they're holed up in Dubai at the moment because they can't be extradited and they're worth like billions. How many they? of them are there? Well, they keep getting killed, but it's a family. <laughs> the, the, the main one is Daniel Kinahan. But, but yeah, it's one of the biggest criminal organisations in the world. No? And Dubai are housing them. God. At, at the moment, yeah, uh, because most countries would just deport them. Well, yeah, but Dubai would fucking chop their heads off, wouldn't they? If, um... Well, I don't think they do any criminal stuff in that country. Oh, so they're not running anything from Dubai. Well, like you said, the top of the top of the tree aren't they so yeah fair enough so yeah he, his nickname was the hatchet he was a senior member of that kinahan criminal organization but just to get gerald out of the way because we're concentrating on james at the moment on the 6th of september 2014 gerald would be in an irish bar in the town of elvira in spain and the bar was called harman's while he was in the bar two men attacked him with guns 
shooting him nine times and killing him. His wow. death, yeah, his death was linked to a very public feud between the Kinahan Drug Syndicate, who I've just mentioned, and another rival one. One that has cost several lives. I'm surprised you've not heard of it, Rachel. And are both criminals and innocent people caught up. So Gerard died, and that means that he was never brought to justice. Barry and Jeffrey, by the way, they would be found guilty of five counts of conspiracy to import controlled substances. Just to get them out of the way as well, because we're talking about James, three for Class A and two for Class C, cocaine and cannabis. And they would receive sentences of 25 and 20 years, respectively. And uh, yeah, I'm not really concentrating on them. I just want to focus on James. So now we know that Gerard, Barry and Jeffrey, they're all out of the way. So James, he would have his villa, but obviously he wouldn't be linked to him. So he thought he was pretty safe. He would deal largely in cash. Sometimes he would spend up to £75,000 a week on the best hotels, on clothes, on watches, on renting the best cars. And he was that careful that even when he paid for his hotels in cash, he would send a third party that associated with him to pay the bill. And he he also had a self-confessed £1,000 a week cocaine habit. He wouldn't be surprised. Like... In in most drug lords, if we can call him that without glorifying his role, um, having habits because you would be wondering what all the fuss was about, wouldn't you? Well, <laughs> like, I mean, yeah. I'm not a drug taker, guys, so I'm sorry if this sounds ridiculous, but if I was making so much fucking money from something like this i would be thinking why are people spending so much on it and i i don't know i'd probably be curious enough to try it well drug addiction only, like- only if i was earning that yeah. much money guys not not just you know i've gotten to the grand old age of 37 without trying it um so i'm definitely not down for um for just doing it willy-nilly um yeah i'm not, I'm, I'm now trying to dig myself out of the hole i've just created no, it's fine. We got over two things. He was a getting at wholesale price, obviously, wasn't he? Wholesale price. <laughs> he was going to like <laughs> a big market and being like, "I'll take fifty thousand pounds <laughs> worth of your finest cocaine." Uh, and B. Now I've known people uh, in addiction through my life, through in recovery and whatnot, and uh, who are, who are they are in recovery. I mean, and. Well, the consensus is addiction is only really a problem if you can't afford it. And usually people can't afford it because it gets too bad. But if he can afford a £1,000 a week and it's, he's spending £75,000 a week, then, yeah, it's crazy to think of. He may have even considered the fact that the NCA had given up on him, not having enough evidence and not being able to locate him. So he may have thought that he'd gotten away with it. He was always careful of not having a paper trail that could link to him, which is why he dealt in cash, and even his mobile phones. He would use burner phones and would change his burner phone every month. So even if he was ever picked up on, they wouldn't get much by the time they were monitoring it, as he dumped it and got another one. Things would change five years after he had fled to Spain, because in 2012, his father would become ill, so he returned to the UK. And while he wasn't really on the run, remember, technically, no arrest warrant had been issued for him. He was still wary and ultra-cautious. 
he was located and put under surveillance. And even though he used burner phones, three key phones were found to be key to his organization and they were located and traced back. But then he left the UK again after his dad recovered and again disappearing into the nothingness seemingly. So while he was in the UK, they would capture both video and audio recordings of James, including one recording in which he is describing the Kinahan organization as the worst out there as crazy. Another in which he describes that he wanted to get out in the past, but he was too far in, describing that even if he couldn't be found, if he got out, they would just go after and kill the people that he loves. So he couldn't leave his criminal lifestyle. And this is just like a conversation with someone, so it's probably true. And one audio would be recorded in which he describes him being in charge with three others and talking about how now Gerard was dead, along with one of the other who was in charge. So I actually thought this was interesting because it would indicate that Barry and Jeffrey from earlier, that they weren't in charge, that they were just patsies who worked for them and they'd been caught. But Patsies, is that like a drug mule term? I don't know. But um, <laughs> Patsies, I like it. <laughs> I'm sure they didn't like being called that. But Yeah, well, no, it, it seems that they can't have been in charge because he doesn't talk about them when he's talking about the people in charge. But it seems that was not mentioned anywhere else or followed up on by the authorities, probably because when they were tried, they were tried as if they were in charge, so they got longer sentences. That's probably why they never followed it up on. But and the audio, you can actually locate this online. I was going to play it for us, but it's really bad quality. So that's why I just summed it up instead. The police would say at a later date that they save, I think it was potentially nine lives with the information they heard on the audio because they were able to pass on to other police authorities threats to lives that James made on the phone. Oh, wow. Yes. So the NCA, they're not giving up on him, obviously. And in 2015, a full investigation was launched, not only to locate him, but to arrest him as well, and also to try to track down his money, how he moved his money, where he kept it, and how he cleaned it. Because it's widely believed that he also laundered money for other criminals too, including the Kinahans. In for a penny, in for a pound. Why not? I'm laundering my own money. I might as well take yours too. Yes, why not? So their investigation would see over 20,000 pages of evidence be collected and it would span over nine different countries. Now, after he was arrested, obviously they located him because I said that at the top of the show. And after he was arrested, the trial was a complex one with the prosecution trying to show he was the boss of a vast criminal network. They managed to locate, this is why that £68 million is such a strange number because they managed to locate £77 million in total, but admitted there was probably a lot more hidden that they couldn't find. And £7.5 million of that £77 million was never actually recovered. So they managed to actually recover £69.5 million. How do you hide £7.5 million? Pounds? I wish I knew, Rachel. <laughs> I'd find it. You'd never hear from me again. <laughs> yeah. Hopefully you'd have it with me. Yeah, I'd... I'd by your Mars bar too. <laughs> so, so kind. I know. There would be some almost 5,000 different pages of documents submitted as evidence that were just related to his finances alone. 
the court would hear also from two of his ex-partners. I haven't named them because I didn't want to, but one from Brazil and one from Hong Kong, in which they would describe him as a main boss in his organization, that people looked up to him and that they were afraid of him and they looked for instructions from him. Now, he would be found guilty of four of the five counts, with one of the Class A conspiracy being left on file. And he would receive 32 years for the two Class A charges and 10 years for the two Class C charges, meaning that he would get a total of 32 years in prison. Well, Mm. sentence anyway. That's mad, isn't it? Yeah, and he would serve either half or two-thirds, depending on how they classify this crime, because I'm not sure they'd consider it a violent one. Uh, I'll probably actually touch on this, because we're always touching it, and people always assume, I hear it on so many different podcasts, that, oh, they'll be out in half, they'll be out in half. But if it's a sexual offence or a violent offence, and the sentence is more than four years, four years or more, it's actually two-thirds minimum that they have to serve, not half. Oh, really? Um but I don't know if they'd class this as a violent offence or not. I don't think they would. So it'd probably be 16 years ago. It's not a violent offence, but he's a very dangerous man to be able to yeah. be running such an operation, isn't he? Like, Yeah. I did a bit of... Like, sorry. If you had a du- sorry, if you had like a dumb criminal, you, you would be like, oh, well, you know, he was stupid enough to get caught. Like, you know, hopefully he'll learn his lesson and go back out. But you, you, we're dealing with an incredibly intelligent person here who's created like you know huge amounts of like drug drugs and money and laundering and you know the size of the operation that he's been running for god knows how long you know makes him quite dangerous doesn't it so i also remember they said that even from those few months of audio where they're surveilling him they saved nine lives yeah, exactly. So, yeah, and, and that that is the danger element, not just his intelligence, but the fact that there is a threat to life as well. Yeah, I, I did some research on it, and it seems like, well, the four years or more is, like, set in stone, where it's sexual or violent offence, they get two-thirds. It can be down to the judge's discretion, so maybe he got two-thirds or maybe he got half. I don't know, to be honest with you. But he would, though, go on to appeal both the length and the actual conviction. With a lot of his case, his appeal, based around most of the 5K documents around his finances, that they shouldn't have been accepted into court. And some other things too, which I'm being quite frank with you here, Rachel, they were quite boring and very <laughs> very like technical legally. Um, so I couldn't be bothered go. reading them. No, I read them all, but you did fall asleep because they were quite technical, right? It wasn't actually did he do it, it was more getting off on um, technical reasons. but Fair enough. And he would win his appeal, sort of, though. He wouldn't win his appeal against a conviction, that would stand, but he would win his appeal against a sentence, with his sentence being reduced down to 30 years from its original 32. So it's probably not what he was hoping for, but I guess he got two years knocked off. Oh, imagine the feeling of elation when they're like, yep, yeah, okay, your appeal's been successful, your sentence's been reduced. By two years. Yes, I know. And it's only, even if it's half, he's only saved a year, hasn't he? Yep, yep. So what do you think of this one, Rach? Because before you answer me, though, I always think, like, does that money, let me mention it, does that money really disappear or not? Because assuming he gets out after 15 years, and this is an automatic 
release, he only goes on parole for them there to decide if it'd be McCord or it's a more serious crime. So imagine he does. He'd be, what, 58 or 59 when he's released. He's got to still have access to, like, probably millions, hasn't he, would you think? I'd imagine so. And, that, like, as you say, like, that 7.5's gone missing. God knows what else has, has not been tracked or traced. Like, yeah, I think he's going to still have a pretty cushy life on release. Well, if you spend up to 75 grand a week in cash, 10 weeks, that's 750 grand. Times that by five is um, a lot. Fiona seventy five, I believe. <laughs> uh, so, so even just in cash, you were spending like Fiona seventy five thousand pounds a year. Um, it's mad, isn't it? Like, yeah. I, I must be exhausted spending that much money. I know. Like, how do you do it? Like, that's a lot. I know, of like the pressure. Oh God, I've got all this money to spend. Help. Yeah, it's getting a bit cold. Few of you. For a few hundred grand on the fire. Yeah, you would be dead good friends with your Amazon parcel delivery guy, wouldn't you? Because you'd just wouldn't be you? buying whatever you could online. You wouldn't because it's cash, isn't it? Actually, that might. What about COVID when it was all cash? Oh, if you, I, I, right. I know he. I know he was arrested then, but there'd be other drug criminals out there. Yeah, I I keep on forgetting it's cash. Sorry, but I guess you could buy those like prepaid cards that you could like buy online, can't you? Like yeah. obviously going into like the local store or something, but. Even then, only in nominal amounts of like fifties or hundreds. I'm guessing you all said over people's cars as well. But yeah, so yeah, it's crazy to think he's probably sat there thinking because he's not had a confiscation order put against him. Wow. I know. I don't know why, but but yeah. Um, so yeah. So shall I wrap this one up then? Yeah. Yeah. I went quite high then. So this has been season three, episode twenty-four, called "The Ghost." And if it's safe you to do so, I'd like you to relax, close your eyes, and picture the scene. All too often, if you were to be asked, and I mean you, the listener, if you were to be asked to name the worst criminals in British history, people would just list murderers or sex offenders. What about people like James? He had the direct hand in introducing the misery of drugs to countless people. And if the police were to be believed, most likely had hands in people being victims of violence and being murdered on multiple occasions. So should people like him be up there too in your lists? What do you think, Rachel? Should they? Interesting question. Like, yeah, he's so far removed from the physical, like, day-to-day operations that it would be so difficult to pin blood on his hands right but as you've just alluded to essentially he's started the chain of events that will have led to people having severe like drug dependencies and addictions as well as you know deaths on the streets crime um robberies all sorts so yeah like i personally my personal opinion is he deserves a sentence as good as someone who was physically holding the knife or you know um selling the drugs but it's it's very tricky isn't it and our the court system in the uk only brings to court what they will deem to be something that they can find you know successful charges to be brought against so 
Yeah, exactly. So, thank you, everyone, and we shall see you next week. Thanks, guys. Bye. Thank you.